Hey everyone and welcome to the episode 21 of the e-learning guys. My name is Nate Zorga Dulmin and as always I'm joined by Mr. David Charney. Hello Nate, hello everyone. Hello Dave. We got some nice nice updates, some ask the e-learning guys and a main topic talking about the lightboxed slide in storyline. But first, Dave, you have some good news about the slider. Yeah, and I, I talked about this, I don't know how many episodes back, but uh, and I've created some videos on it as well. But the issue that uh, I've had with the, uh, the scroll bar in Storyline 360 and 3, I would suppose as well, um, jumping around is, uh, seems to be fixed. Uh, and I, I won't go into detail uh, because it's, uh, it's a complex thing to talk about. But uh, the way, basically, Storyline 2 worked great. When 360 uh, came out, there was a noticeable jump when you'd click on the, the thumb of the scroll bar and move it. And sounds like, you know, not a very big deal. But uh, as you're exploring, you know, more complex learner experiences that might use that scroll bar and you're getting all these jumps all over the place, it was not good. It would limit my ability to try more complex things or I'd have to stay in Storyline 2, which I didn't want to do. So uh, uh, they did update this. I'm not sure how when they updated it. Um, I, I updated my version of Storyline, and it works. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. Um, I tried my previous projects and seemed to work uh, very nicely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I think we dis- discussed this issue over a few episodes because it, it came up here and there, and I, I know I, I had the same issue with the you know, dragging over the word to speak the word, to pronounce the word. I know on the first letter I had a problem to position it correctly because once I clicked, it jumped. And yeah, I'm very happy that this is solved now. So yes, for the updates. Yeah, thank you to the Articulate team over there. And uh, yeah, it's just nice. I can build something now and it will it will act the way I expect, which is very important to me. Yeah, they were really busy with the updates. I know in October, I think we had already three. And the last update to Rise brings one great additional block that I think you and I are appreciating a lot. Yeah, yeah, the storyline block. I uh, I don't know about you, but uh, this is a pretty big thing. I mean, I I wasn't using Rise a whole lot because I felt somewhat limited in what I typically do what my team typically does for a living and what people need and um, Rise having kind of a somewhat limited number of blocks you can use. I mean, it's a great pro, it's a, it's a great tool, but um, I feel this really uh, takes it to the next step, uh, basically being able to take storyline uh, files and load them into, uh, into Rise. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I remember once, I think at the start when the, you know, the whole 360 thing came out, it's almost a year now, that uh, there were some, you know, hacks how to put storyline in Rise there. And right. I, I took a look at that and, uh, well, I saw that it's possible, but I just don't like that approach because, you know, it seems hacky. I just feel like this is going to break in half a year or something. So, I'm really yep. happy that this is now, you know, officially supported. And the, the way that you insert the the storyline is also a bit different than what you would usually do because you have to upload 
the file to the review, and then you can import it through the you know block settings in Rise, and then you select the storyline interaction from the review. So that that's the procedure. I, I I there's a short video explaining this, but that's basically it. Yeah. So yeah, basically, um, and you want to make sure you've got the newest version of Storyline uh, three sixty. But yeah, yeah you publish your project to Articulate three sixty. And when you go into Rise and add a storyline block, you'll see your project there. Um, although I should say, with that, uh, you know, of course, Rise is made to work on all kinds of devices, and of course, when you get to a smartphone, your storyline file may shrink considerably down. Oh yeah. Um, and it's not—it's not, it's not going to be full screen either. There's going to be a little bit of a gap, at least the way it currently works on either side. And so you really want to design for the lowest common den- denominator. And um, you don't want your knowledge checks or interactions to be too small, you know, to see or interact with, unless, you know, it's like you're building for an ant or something, some sort of ant training course. And I was thinking too, and I wasn't, I haven't tried this or anything, but I would think that if you use XAPI or Experience API or TinCan API, whatever you want to call it, um, I think if you use that and you know a bit of JavaScript, if you've had to deal with that, I, I would think you'd still be able to push data out to an LRS in that knowledge check if you had to if that was important to what you were doing but not tried that um but yeah so anyway it's a great update that they made there yeah and looking forward to exploring that out a little bit further yeah I'll maybe just add that uh if you produce an interaction it's really good to just you know remove all the player things basically make a blank player with everything disabled so it's just the just the content there i think i would even go so far to remove the or or to make the player white you know or or transparent so i was gonna say transparent is pretty good to do yeah yeah exactly i mean i think rise is basically white so it could be white and you, you you couldn't tell the difference but i really i don't like the 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 gray default color so i would go all in remove everything and then import to to rise yeah yeah that'd be certainly the best way to kind of blend it all in all right from rise to some next buttons i have a i have a tip that i actually i didn't know about this trick for for some time but then uh, i was working on a course with a new client and i saw how they are using this so the thing is, if you use the native previous and next buttons and submit buttons in, in Storyline, there are some benefits. And let me give you one. When you have, an, have a quiz, you know, with the previous button and the submit button, so only those two, which means the user has to submit and answer the question before they can continue. So what happens there is uh, really nice because once the user submits the question, gets the feedback and goes to the next slide, if they click previous and go back to this question slide, what happens is that the submit button disappears and the next button appears in place of it. Did you know about this? Um... I'm not sure. <laughs> so basically, it's really nice because you don't have to do any, you know, turning on or something. You basically disable the next button. You put the submit button there. And once the, you know, once the question is answered and there are no more attempts, if user returns to this slide, there's no submit button and the next button appears. 
which is sort of what you would want and it works and it's great so you know if you re- if if you're using these native uh commands this is a really nice way to do things and you know there's no special triggers needed and uh, i encourage you to use it if you use the default buttons yeah very nice and now ask the e-learning guys so ask us how do you cut the background out of graphics dave you have put this in the document and uh, i think you have some answers yeah uh or at least uh, some directions uh <laughs> <laughs> i might not go into full detail here but um yeah uh, a number of people have asked us this um all sorts of different questions you know how do you cut out backgrounds uh, how do you make the background transparent to graphics or images or whatever it is um and i've seen it a couple times in some forums lately as well so i thought it'd be a good good question to answer so in e-learning we might have you know like you might have a product you're training on and you want to exclude the background so you can really focus in on the product or provide space around the product for text or callouts or other images or whatever you might be doing you might also that product might be Maybe it's supposed to be in a warehouse, but the photo is taken on just a regular background of maybe it's on a table or something. So it's not quite uh, the right environment. Uh, or you might have a person that's in the same situation. You know, you might want a certain location or environment behind the person. Or it could just be for your interface design, your look and feel to have nice, clean images. Yeah, without borders, you know. Yeah. Without borders. Yeah. Maybe it's part of the brand of the company. So there's a lot of reasons. That's just a number, a handful of them. Uh, and I'll say, too, that even using, like, Shutterstock and some of those stock sites, um, some of those images have transparency, but a lot of them are still on white. So you download the image, and it's still on white. Uh, they haven't cut them all out or anything. So there's a lot of different situations you might be in. Uh, so how do you how do you cut those out? Well, again, I'm not going to go into details because... Of course, this is audio, and that's a very visual thing. But uh, certainly, I could maybe we could point you in some directions. First off, there's a bunch of web-based tools out there. I've tried a couple of them. Do a search because new ones pop up all the time, but they let you upload an image, and they've got algorithms to try to figure out what is the background, what's the foreground, uh, and, and let you kind of play around with it and output a file that uh, has that transparency in it. So mm-hmm. that's one method. Yeah. Another is PowerPoint. A lot of people use PowerPoint, especially a lot of people have stuff in PowerPoint that they import into something like Storyline or Captivate or Lectora or whatever. Uh, PowerPoint has a nice tool called Remove Background. So you put your image into the scene, you click Remove Background, you click the background, and then there's some uh, inclusion and exclusion tools that they have there. Uh, I don't know if you've played around with this much Nate's, but I mean, it works so, so much better on solid backgrounds. It really needs to be a solid background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. It always, it always helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and what's nice about that is um, it will import. So if you import that into Storyline, uh, after you remove the background, it'll still have the background removed. I would guess it would work the same way in like a Captivator Lectora. I would imagine it'd still have the background removed. But also in PowerPoint, you can right-click on the image, save it out as a ping file to keep the transparent background and pull that into anything you have. And then finally, I'll talk about Photoshop. This is my preference because you can get as detailed as you as you want yeah, here. Yeah. This is really all the tools you need. Uh, you can use the polygonal or magnetic lasso tools, let you kind of draw an outline all the way around the object. 
and then just delete out the background. Or you can use the pen tool for a much finer kind of shape around the object. And this is probably the preferred method of the two um, over the lasso tool. Um, use the pen tool. And then um, if you've got like a lot of crazy hair or something that you have to kind of remove out, Photoshop also has, if you're on any of these selection tools, you'll see a button called Select and Mask. And if you click that, you get all sorts of additional tools that really help you kind of remove out that background. Uh, I did a video about a year and a half ago on some of these Photoshop methods, so maybe we'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, and then I'd, I'd also say a lot of people don't realize this when they're not used to using a lot of images and having to import stuff into a lot of these e-learning tools, but um, you'll want to output or save that graphic as a ping file. Oh, yeah. Um, if you save it as a JPEG file after you remove it, you won't. it'll usually revert back to a white background because there's no transparency yeah. in JPEGs. Which might work if you have a white background in the course, but it's better just to use PNG. <laughs> If your background is white, then then you're all set. But uh, yeah, if, if you need it transparent for whatever reason, uh, ping it. Make it a ping. There's another, I know there's another nice way to select, uh, like you said, if, if it's a uniform background, it, it helps. I know that in Photoshop and also in Pixelmator, there is color select or something like that. So mm -hmm. you, 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 there's a dialog box, you pick the color, and then there's a threshold setting. You know, so you can just intensify that until it starts starts eating to into the you know your your main object. So you can just dial it down a bit, and then you have the whole selection done. You know, in in one click, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's probably that's probably one step up between. Uh, that's probably one step up from the PowerPoint uh, remove background tool because that threshold is yeah. a little bit more advanced than the PowerPoint yeah, yeah. tool is. And if you're familiar with masks, just use masks so you have non-destructive editing and you can always yes. <laughs> always add back the part that you accidentally deleted. That's why the pen tool can be a, a little bit more helpful than the uh, lasso tools too because it uh, it's a lot easier to, mm -hmm. to kind of store those on different layers. At this point, I won't uh, say that uh, I have not used pen tool a lot. I'll tell you, I... I I keep the lasso tool in there because I do use it a lot. If I'm doing real quick cutouts, I'll just use that um, because I, I'm I've kind of used it enough that I know the problem with the doing this is, and I don't use the magnetic lasso hardly at all because I'm it's always jumps around. But I do use the uh, polygonal lasso tool mm -hmm. yeah because um there's the one with the click 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 right yeah click click yeah. click all the way around that's the yeah. best but some people if you're not used to that you can end up with it looks like an old game you know where you can see like <laughs> you know it's not smooth all the way around a, a shape you can see these these it kind of cuts it out so the pen tool smooths all that out because you can really just drag all these points really nicely perfectly around your shape yeah well you know that you also have the we're getting really crazy here but you also have the uh, edit selection something like that and you can smooth the you know all the corners yep so that's also an option all, all, basically everything we're mentioning it's possible to do in pixel meter because that's what i use and you know with with the selection things there are, there are a lot of options also the feathering you know if you don't want a strict border that's also possible Yep, and 
And we won't even talk about removing green screen green screen from video. <laughs> <laughs> no. If you need to do that, check out uh, some other program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, we have a short topic today. Maybe it's long. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's about lightboxed slides in Storyline. Now, why would you use them? How would you use them? What are the limitations? And then at the end, I have a small challenge for you. So... Uh, lightboxed slides are basically, you know, it's a slide in a pop-up with a darkened background and an X in the corner so you can close it. And it's some, it's a sort of special way to call a slide from another slide. You could use this if you, for some reason, don't want to use a layer from the slide you're on. Whatever reason, you know, could be anything. It's your call. Um, and it's, I think it's, I, I usually tend to use it more for sort of like more, how can I say, general slides or some slides that are maybe hierarchically above the the regular slides. So, for example, help, help slide could open there, you know, so you don't have to put it in the master slide in a layer. It could just be light boxed. There's a, one of the clients uses an exit from the player. It has an exit button in the player menu. Uh, but when you click that, it calls a lightbox slide that opens, you know, that opens up and it says, do you really want to close this slide, this course? Yes, no. So that's, that's a nice way just not to kick the user out of the course by mistake. Uh, you could use it as for a menu, you know, it can, it can open from anywhere. You just lightbox a slide. Uh, and and it's the special thing is the slide that it opens. It opens in the middle of the course, or how can I say, in the middle of the course player. It doesn't open in the middle of the slide like a layer would, but it goes over the player also. So you have a menu on the left side and on the right side. You have the your basic slide, the 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 pop up of the light box. It's gonna go over also over the left over the menu a bit. So it does behave a bit differently. There's another situation where maybe you would use a lightbox slide. It's Let's say you have a slide with uh, layer interactions that has a lot of these layer triggers going on, which means it would be hard to call this slide directly from the slide you're already on because you, you have the layer interactions, so you would it would just become complicated. So it's just easier to call that slide and then... There's, there are interactions going on, and then you can close it and you come back. Dave, do you have any examples or you don't use them at all? You know, I use them rarely, but occasionally. Um, when I use them, it's it's more along the lines of what you were saying for like kind of extra uh, pop-ups like help and exit and menu, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, I typically will use a layer or I'll use a master slide layer if I need to kind of reuse something across a lot of slides. Uh, but that's a little bit more complicated because you have to um, you have to have some additional triggers to make that layer pop up if yep. it's on the master slide. And it's, it's easier with a light box. Um, sometimes I don't use them because they, uh, they do slightly shrink down your slide, which is yes. usually not that big of a deal. I think it's maybe 75% of the yep. full width. Um, but also sometimes the little um, X in the top right that you can close it with, which is yeah. just part of the light box. Maybe it is not branded quite right with the rest of the course. Yes. So I, I consider that as well. 
But um, yeah, I, I, I use it from time to time, but not as much uh, these days. These days, maybe in the future. But yeah, I, I agree with you, like you said. I, I mean, I know I did the whole intro about when it is used, but it's basically rarely. So I, I think if I look at my, I don't know, typical course, it's, it's maybe there's 20% chance that there's a light box slide, but usually it's not. I'll say too, sometimes we'll use them a little bit more if, for instance, we know our client is going to make edits to things from the course that we provide, and it's sometimes easier for them to edit uh, a slide that's not in the master somewhere hidden, uh, or again, yeah. has those triggers. Yeah. So uh, if if it's going to be an easier process for them to make changes in the future, we'll use light boxes. Yeah, I think also one of the nice uh, nice examples of use is Let's say there's a slide referring to something that was explained five slides ago, and you could easily have an option to click and and recheck that slide, you know, in a light box. In, instead of returning the user five slides back, you just pop it in a light box, they can see the explanation again, and they can close it. So that's a nice way just to show the content again without, you know, user having to jump back, basically, yeah. Yep. I, I I agree with you. You mentioned the, the 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 button to close. It's not branded the way would you would want. And I also remember. I think this was storyline too. In HTML5, the the button for close was really like half the size of the flash output. It was really ugly. Basically, I think I think maybe it wasn't the X wasn't even in the center of the circle. Uh, I think <laughs> I think this is fixed. Um, and another thing is you just cannot adjust the uh, level of the darkness of the background. So the transparency, I think it's maybe it's, I don't know, let's say it's, 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 it's about 75%. But, you know, there's no, there's no setting for this. Right. Yep. Yeah. That, and sometimes that is just totally fine. And sometimes that just adjusts the learner experience a little bit. So you got to consider that. Yeah, it's really too bad that there's none. And now I think we've arrived to... My challenge to you, which I sort of announced on Twitter days ago. <laughs> yeah, although I still have no idea what it is. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Dave has no idea, so I'm gonna explain my my let's say challenge. I don't I don't want to say issue a challenge I had almost three years ago using a slider, no, <laughs> using a light box, uh, and I think I solved it. So. I just want to see what how, how, what they what Dave's gonna come up with. So I had a situation that uh, I had a slide, and I think it had three buttons, and those three buttons called it like they called light boxed slides. So my my challenge was, and it could be just one button; it doesn't matter. My challenge was that uh, let's say user clicks the button, the the light box slide opens, and user listens to something until the end or has to click something. So it sort of has to complete that slide. Now, the user clicks, close the light box slide, and, and he comes back or she returns. Now, how do I know that that slide, the thing on the slide was completed? Because, this, because the light box slide does not does not work as a regular layer, you know. You cannot uh, change a state from a lightbox slide. You can basically, all you can do is work something with a variable. 
And I'm not sure what I did at that point. I think I just gave up and I, I put visited states on the buttons. So once all the three buttons were clicked, the next button unlocked, you know. So I just didn't bother if the user checked everything on the lightbox slide as long as they clicked the button. Um, so yeah, my challenge was how do you know that thing on the lightbox slide was completed once the user closes the lightbox and returns to the slide itself. So, Dave, how would you do that? Um, well, can we, can we edit out the hour of silence on my end <laughs> while my brain is... <laughs> no, it's fine. Just, just, just speak out your thought process. Is the, so is the problem that because it's not a layer, yeah. you can't directly yes. talk with the, the base layer, right? Basically. Basically, yeah, that's that's the main that's the main problem that we have here. Yeah, we we cannot communicate directly like we would in a layer. So how how can we how can we know the thing there was completed once the user closes the slide? Um. So and then on that base layer, you've got you were saying you've got something with states, so you'd want to kind of check things off or, or or at least know that it was completed. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no. I have. Let, let's say there. Like I said, I think I had three buttons, uh, and so three three slides had to be somehow completed before I unlock the next button. But like I said, I just used the visited states of the buttons. I didn't bother whether it was completed or not, as long the slide was opened. But I think I came up with the solution a, a week ago, and yeah. So can you use? Can you have variables for each? And when you change the variable yeah. on the light box, and when the variable changes, you on the base slide you say when variable changes, you set the state. Yeah, but to be different, you can't do that because the slide is not open at that point. So the trigger, the trigger does not run. You know, because the slide is on pause. You're not there. You can't use variable changes because you're not on that slide at that point. Oh, I see. Well. What happens when you and part part of this is I haven't don't use slide bo uh, slide boxes all the time. So when you close a slide box, does it does it then start again or like yeah? Would it then I, I it it should continue. Yeah, if if the, if the timeline timeline has not ended yet. Hmm, this is a challenge. But let's say the timeline has ended. Let's say the timeline has ended. It, I don't. Th I don't think solution with having you know one thousand second timeline works because I'm not even sure how that would help. Right. But so why wouldn't if you change the state when the variable changes? Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. So, so that would be one <laughs> one possible option. But you can't. That you're not on the slide for that trigger to work. You know. When variable changes, th that happens when you're on the lightbox slide, you know? It, right. it doesn't run. Oh, it, it won't run like, so when I go back, when I close the lightbox, it won't run through, it won't say, oh, these variables changed and I, have that effect. I'm pretty sure it doesn't, and it shouldn't, because that didn't happen at that point. It happened five seconds ago. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> Unless they change something and tr this, this, this trigger now works, but I don't think so. No, I have no idea. I've never never tried that. So, um, <laughs> boy, that's a good question. So how do you let them speak to each other? I, I, I think I can, say, I can say as much that, and I think you would agree that the only, you know, the only lifeline connection here are the variables. 
But how do you use them? That's I think that's the tricky part. Um, well, then I put the I put a <laughs> I put a big blank under the button, and I set the variable to say completed. And then when you go back underneath, it'll say completed. And then no, but you're changing the state, so that doesn't work. Nope. Um, <laughs> okay. Awkward pause. Um, yeah, so you use variables. Yeah, but how? Uh, right, okay. Um, geez. And I, and I can't spend an hour in Storyline right now to figure it out? I can give you a few minutes. And I, I think I had this problem in two... I think it was 2015, yeah. Like, like um, springtime. And I never... I never returned to that problem. I just knew that I, I, I didn't really solve it. But then last week, it sort of clicked. Uh, and I think it clicked once we... Uh, after I listened to our previous episode, because of something you said, and then maybe I think that stuck in my mind for some time, and then I sort of remembered the light box thing. And so, so I've already solved it. Just... <laughs> no? Okay. Not it really, but just just one, you know, just one think clicked because of um can i close the light box for two seconds and then start back up again hmm i don't have a clue i i can tell you one idea i had yeah i know i i know variables but <laughs> then i get a little lost i had i had an idea that maybe you know i could somehow use an object that is maybe close to the to the X button you click when you when you close, that maybe once the mouse hovers over that object and the variable is true, you know, from the glide box slide, that variable, you know, it, it, like the mouse would would trigger the trigger because it would hover mm -hmm. over. That at that point, okay, maybe, maybe this is a solution. But it's, you know, it's sort of awkward to put an object there th over everything else and it, it, you have to be careful not to cover anything that is clickable and so on so i abandoned that solution although i think it could work um but uh, but still you would need a mouse you could you could not do that with uh you know uh, an ipad for example hmm. so that wasn't that's not the solution um, no that was just one idea i had <laughs> <laughs> well what you do is Yeah, I'm not sure. So, yeah, how do you communicate? Yeah. Whenever I communicate, I use the if the variable changed. Um, but now you don't have to see it until you go back, until you close the light box, right? So No. Right, so you close the light box and then something happens? Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it, I don't have to change it while the light box is open. No, you, you can't. That, that, that's the problem. Right. <laughs> it just has to look changed when you go back. Yes. When you close the light yes, box. Yes, but, but how, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But how do you do that? Well, in Storyline 361, they have a trigger for... Uh, no, that's... That, I can't give that information away. <laughs> okay, le let me tell you. Tell uh, me, please. Uh, uh, let me stop the suffering and tell you. <laughs> of everyone. So, the basically, if I just go one step back... Uh, just to, to set the premise again. Basically, the, the issue is that, you know, slide is sort of stopped. It, it, 
it doesn't go anywhere and you're not on it while while the thing while the variable changes like you said yeah so my thinking was okay nothing is moving but okay what if we make something that moves in a loop so we could put an object in a motion path in a loop of the slide with a short like you know 10 100 millisecond loop just motion path looping 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 is this in the light box or in the base layer this is in the base layer so okay the, you you create the loop gotcha. and then you just have the trigger which says when animation completes change the state to of the you know button one to completed if variable one is true Okay, so I started to get there, but you're creating a listener, basically, your own listener. Yes, exactly, because there's nothing to to, gra- to, 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 to grasp, you know. So right. you have to you have to keep listening to. Okay, is this done? Is this done? Is this done? Is this done? And then you you know just there's just a slight delay, like point one of a second after user closes the light box that you have your trigger and you know what happened to you know, on the light box. So that was my solution. No, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So what, you'd, so what I would do is I would create a listener and, and then you can edit that in so it sounds like I know the answer. But yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and it, it'll probably run for like, you won't even, it can run so fast you won't even I don't think you would notice. Know it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you go back, slide starts playing, the listener grabs the uh, variable and yes. cha- makes any changes you tell it to in the trigger, yeah. in the triggers, and you're all set. Yes. Yep. Yes. Took me two years. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> yeah. And on that happy note, I think we should wrap up. <laughs> uh, Dave, please tell us where can people find you? Are you on the interwebs? <laughs> no, but I hope to be sometime. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> People can find me uh, if uh, you need custom e-learning. You can check out Illumin Group uh, at illumingroup.com. Uh, for my videos and various things, you can check out e-learning locker, uh, youtube.com slash e-learning locker or elearninglocker.com. And I'm on uh, the Twitters at uh, Dave underscore Charney, C-H-A-R-N-E-Y. How about you, Nate? Where can people find you? You can also find me on the internet, on the intertubes, uh, on Twitter under NEJCD or on eLearningBrewery.com, which is still a work in progress. If you have any questions for the Ask the E-Learning Guy segment, you can send a message directly to us on Twitter or you can use the contact us form on the website. Take care, everyone, and talk to you in 15 days. Yep, take care and happy learning. learning